Hello and welcome to Theology and Coffee, the podcast that gives you bite-sized theology for life on the go. From creeds, catechisms, church fathers to biblical theology, this podcast is the one-stop shop to get you more literate when it comes to understanding God, the meaning of life and the universe. Your hosts will sometimes be me, Chris Wickland, and sometimes my wife, Tracy Wickland. So get the kettle on, pour your favourite brew, get your Bible and your notebook out, and let's do Theology and Coffee. Theology, the study of God. It's such a huge, exciting subject that we need some ground rules to guide us as we soar off into the unknown, but infinitely and exciting and knowable. So how? How do we, how should we study theology? Well, firstly, I want to start by being controversial. To do this subject justice and to fully explore it, delve into it and understand it, I do believe that we need to be a Christian. To study God and to know God is our Jeremiah 31, our new covenant exclusive privilege. God says that they will know me and be known by me. A cerebral, solely intellectual, detached study isn't going to cut it. The Bible offers Christians alone the joy of knowing God. John 17 says that eternal life is knowing God. Our study of God should draw us closer to knowing him. For example, someone can study my husband, they can listen to his sermons, they can learn his history, they can even look in his wardrobe if they want to, but no other human will know him like I do. I'm in relationship with him, I spend time with him day in, day out. I can stand back and do the other studying things and form opinions and conclusions about him, but my relational knowledge over 28 years of marriage, of immersion, um, of daily being with him will bolster and inform the facts that I have. To study theology, to examine the bare bones of God with my intellect alone, will sorely miss the mark. C.S. Lewis says that the Christian's heart can sing unbidden as we work our way through any bit of theology. Studying God will bring us joy in the knowing him. So the main tenets, the pillars required to study theology well, are the same as the bedrocks of our Christianity. Firstly, we need the Holy Spirit. John 16 tells us that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. That's exciting and it's reassuring, but it can also be a tricky one. Many men and women have taken this bit alone and run away with themselves right into a bunch of heresy. So at this point, we need to take a rein on ourselves and ask how. How does the Holy Spirit lead us into all truth? I know as Pentecostals and Charismatics, we like our prophetic word, We like our visions, we like our revelations, but our God is also a God of order. The Holy Spirit has consistently, throughout church history, worked in similar, repetitive, reoccurring ways through scripture, through church structure, and through the body of believers. So let's have a look first at scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is God-breathed. That's theopneustos in the Greek. God breathed and useful for teaching doctrine, for rebuking as a proof or as a reproof, for correcting and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Holy Spirit himself wrote scripture. He is the pneuma, the breath, the wind of God. And the charismatic in me wants to say right now, Holy Spirit, come and rest on us. As we see the Holy Spirit in the context of resting on us, overshadowing us as the original writer of scripture, we can see an image of just how he can lead us into all truth as we study it. 
He is saturated with a deep knowledge, a complete living and being an active kind of knowing and understanding of the scriptures. Of course, he is the one who is promised to lead us into all truth through the scriptures. The Bible is our primary source. Timothy was commended for being immersed in the scriptures from childhood. And we must immerse ourselves in our Bibles. We approach theology with a knowledge that the Bible is the word of God. It is infallible, it is timeless and it has all the answers. It can stand up to our scrutiny. I always remember the joy I had of studying a girl who built cities in 1 Chronicles 2. It's a fabulous couple of verses. Her name was Shira and it says that she built Lower and Upper Beth Heron. As I studied this, I came across the archaeological records for Beth Heron, which show that she did exactly that. First, the lower city was built, and then the upper. In that order, she built lower and upper Beth Heron, just exactly as the Bible says. There's nothing in the Bible that's there by chance or by mistake, even down to the arrangement and technicalities of city building. It really can stand up to our scrutiny. The world, culture or science may disagree at any given time, but God's word stands firm and it will be proved in the end. For many years, historians debated the existence of Pontius Pilate, despite the Bible clearly mentioning him. That is until coins were discovered with his name and his head on them. The Bible will stand up to our scrutiny. It's good to ask questions. Luke 2 tells us that the 12-year-old Jesus was in the temple and he sat among the teachers, hearing them and asking them questions. Jesus asked questions. It's good to ask questions. The second way we study theology is through church structure. Ephesians 4 says that God has given the fivefold ministry of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers for the equipping of us for service, for the building up of the body, so that they might be in unity in the faith as we come to a knowledge of the Son of God. These guys, these Ephesians 4 guys with their gifts and their positions are given to unify us in our knowledge of God. Good teaching, good leadership, sound doctrine are all imperative. Our leaders are appointed and anointed to grow us in unity and in the knowledge of God. We need our leaders. Leaders have, over the centuries, made collective agreements and brought unity on fundamental issues that have been important for Christianity. These fundamentals have been thrashed out and set down over time, over the years, as the church has faced controversy or heresy. And that then brings us on to our second source of information, church history, in the form of councils, creeds and confessions. These are often called the friends of scripture. We see how the church thrashed out and fought off wrong doctrine over the centuries. We have things like the Apostles' Creed, which was born out of the old Roman creed. And for instance, this starts with, I believe in God the Father Almighty. The early church agreed that God was our Father. So we can use this in, in times like this where um, there's a current debate whirling around about the gender of God. The early church had already thrashed this out and agreed. I believe in God the Father Almighty. God is our Father. Uh, likewise, we've got the Nicene Creed, decided by hundreds of bishops, priests and deacons at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. They gathered mainly to refute Arianism and address a few other matters. 
one fun fact that I came across about the Council of Nicaea was that the original Santa Claus, St Nicholas of Myra, was present here. The Nicaean Creed is indeed a gift to us from the early church. Later on, we have things like the Westminster Confession that came out of the Reformation. It was written by Puritans during the English Civil War to set structure on worship, doctrine, church government and discipline. And then um, proof texts were added to the statements by the demand of Parliament. I thought that was interesting. Those were the days when Parliament would demand proof texts from Scripture. So all these things show us that a conversation in theology has been happening for thousands of years. It shows us the issues as they evolved and how the church addressed them at the time. It calls to mind the warning of Proverbs 18.13 that says we should listen before we speak. Let's listen to all these things that speak to us before we respond with our own idea of theology. We study the scriptures, we study church structure, we sit under church structure, we look at church history and we allow the Holy Spirit to inform us and lead us into all truth. Finally, we study theology together. We aren't lone ranger, rabbit hole divers. That's a sure way to find some error. History highlights men and women who have grasped at random ideas and run blindly into the darkness of some crazy thoughts and unfortunately have taken other people with them. The New Testament letters were written to the corporate body and expounds regularly on us being a corporate body. Because our English language doesn't have a word for the plural you, we often miss the fact that the Bible addresses us frequently as a body of believers. We are all in this together. We are the body of Christ. Colossians 2.19 warns against not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Christianity, doctrine and life should be agreed on and walked out together as a body of believers. So as we study theology primarily with scripture, together with the secondary sources, under a God-appointed church structure, as part of the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit, as promised, will lead us into all truth. This should not merely be done as a filling of our intellectual buckets, but as a life-giving joy, overflowing, as Augustine said, into an ordering of our affections. Geoffrey Selkin said our theology is only as good as the implications that flow from it. Ignatius, who argued that our theology should be authentic, would agree with this sentiment. Our theology should not only inform us, it should change us. And now it's time for... Weird Facts in Church History! Due to a papal decree, the days between October the 4th and October the 15th in the year 1582 never happened. In 1582, Pope Gregory XIII issued a papal bull ordering a reform of the old Roman Julian calendar. And as intelligent as the Romans were, the sun proved faster than their calendar and Caesar's 365-day year was 11 minutes and 10 seconds too long, so that by 1582, the old calendar was more than 10 days behind. The Pope employed two prominent astronomers to calculate the true length of the year, which gave rise to the Pope's new Gregorian calendar. To catch up to the new calendar, Gregory then had to jump ahead 10 days, so that October 4th instantly became October 15th in 1582. 
Well, that's all we got time for. If you've got any comments or questions, please email us admin at lwcn.uk. And until next time, have a great day.